0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Meet the Artist interview, presented by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. I don't Thank you. <laughs> I'll i also welcome our online listeners who are accessing this program through our website, sfballet.org. Today is Sunday, February 27th, and we are in the War Memorial Opera House before a matinee performance of Program 4 of San Francisco Ballet's 2011 repertory season. This program includes George Balanchine's Theme and Variations, Sir Kenneth McMillan's Winter Dreams, and Helgi Thomason's New Ballet Trio. My name is Jennifer Kovakovich, I'm the board relations manager for San Francisco Ballet, and I'm pleased to welcome our guest today, Bruce Sansom, ballet master and assistant to the artistic director. Thank you. And by way of introduction, Bruce was a principal dancer for many years at the Royal Ballet before embarking on a career in arts administration and dance production and other ventures in the arts. Um, But this is actually your third time with us, isn't it, Bruce?
1: Um, I danced with the company, I struggle to remember if it was 91 or 92. I think it was, I joined in September or August of 91 and danced in the 92 season. And then I came back when I retired from um, my job with the Royal Ballet in 2000 and did an administrative sort of training program across the organization, both working under Helgi and in effect under Glenn McCoy as well. So both ends of the building.
0: Well, we're glad to have you back. And uh, Bruce is the ballet master on two of the ballets on today's program, Winter Dreams and Trio. Uh, So I'd like to start with Winter Dreams if I could. Um, Tell us a little bit about the genesis of this ballet, how it came to be. Uh,
1: The Royal Ballet suddenly had someone who joined, Irek Mukhammadov. He defected from um, Russia and was looking for a company to join. And he approached Anthony Dow, then director of the Royal Ballet, and asked if he could uh, come in, and Anthony grabbed him and... The first opportunity he had to do anything with the company was a gala performance that was to celebrate the Queen Mother's 90th birthday. So I think we're talking 1991. And Kenneth McMillan decided that he would use Iraq and put him alongside um, Kenneth's new sort of young star, Darcy Bustle. And he created a part de a one-off de deux for this gala that was only ever to be seen once. And it was called Farewell. And it's basically the departure of an officer from the army, leaving his lover. And as I understand it, this was only what it was supposed to be, as in the part de But at some point, Kenneth realized that this was part of a much bigger picture and realized that he had managed to create the, um, the atmosphere and intensity between two characters from the Chekhov play Three Sisters and that's the middle sister Masha and her lover Colonel Verschinen and so he decided that he would expand the work and try and capture the essence of the whole play In dance.
0: Now, I understand that it's not a literal retelling of the play, but um, can you tell us a little bit about the characters and the relationships and uh, some of what we'll be seeing today?
1: Well, hopefully you'll be seeing all of it today. (laughs) Um, Yes, he's not trying to tell the story from page one through to um, the last page of the play. What he's done is, is give you intense um, descriptions through movement of each character who was important to the play. There are some characters that have been missed out simply because they didn't really add anything dramatically. They were just there for added color. And he's captured little moments, some that appear in the play and some that he's sort of realized because they add dramatic strength in a non-narrative form. So you'll get some scenes that are clearly scenes where people are really engaged with each other, and others where you'll just get one person who's ca- caught in their own time and in their own mind. And it, it's a clever device. The, the ballet is made up of 24 scenes. Um, the Farewell part of there is the longest, and I think that's six or seven minutes long. And the shortest is probably less than a minute. So you get fragments that gradually build and build, so you get a complete picture of these individuals and how they interact and how they they process um, what is happening within the household. And it, it's not, I, I love it because it's not telling you what's happening, it's allowing you to experience what's happening. And I, was, I met up with a friend after the opening night, which was on Friday, and he was talking to me about it and he said, what's wonderful is as you watch it, the choreography disappears. And I thought that was the most apt way of describing what Kenneth has done with the work. You stop looking and seeing steps and just see experiences.
0: Now the setting of this ballet, um we see a dinner party going on in the background. sometimes we see it sometimes we don't. and the action mostly takes place outside of that party. But c- can you talk a little bit about the, that device and the significance of that
1: I've not seen it done anywhere else, certainly not in dance. what it what it offers you is is the reality that is that it's a close knit group, even though they're fairly dysfunctional um, well, <laughs> it's, all, it's all, all, all so understated um, and that sort of makes me giggle because we think about the Russians as being big, flamboyant and then we think of the British being very subdued and this is a very subdued version of a Russian experience. <laughs> um, the farewell part of is the big passionate moment. Um, but going back to the device of the table, we're in, a f- we're in a family s- setting um, and so it's all happening around that, that one place. People come out, come away from the table and have an experience and then return to the table. And most of the people at the table don't know what has just happened and it's of no consequence. But some do and then come out and, and reflect on what they know of what's happening so it's a clever device because it's not just about the individual scenes. It's about the totality. No one is there just to do their one scene. Their one scene comes out of their relationship to the whole household. So I, I think it, I hopefully it captures that perfectly and that, that makes sense as you see it.
0: Uh, what I enjoyed about seeing it actually was the um, opportunities uh, to see our principal character dancers come out. You talked about these members of the household and the, um, the characters that Sir Kenneth chose to include in the ballet. Can you talk about those roles a little bit?
1: Struggling. <laughs> uh, i trying to find the appropriate way to say this. Where I come from, from the Royal Ballet, we do, a l- or the company there does a lot of narrative work. Um, and the choreographers who um, were the founding choreographers, um, Sir Frederick Ashton, um, Nanette Devalois, and Kenneth Macmillan, really worked in narrative a lot. And the, the company developed um, a lot of skill in that area, being able to be dance actors. And a lot of artists, as they grew older, you know, your dancing diminishes, your capabilities diminish, uh, but you still have a lot of value. And so when Kenneth came to do this ballet, the role that you'll see today taken by Anita Paciotti was played by Gerd Larsen. Gerd Larsen had been almost at the very beginning of the Royal Ballet's founding. And she was, I think she was 80, when he created this role on her. So he had a a wealth of highly developed, highly skilled um, artists, who he could pull the best out of in terms of characterization. And he used that to best effect. The role that you see Damien Smith dance um, this afternoon, which is the role of the husband, the jilted husband, Um, was created on Anthony Dow. At the end of Anthony's classical career, but very much requiring him to dance, and it's technically very demanding, without being virtuoso, it still asks a lot um, in terms of pure technique, but it's the acting aspect of it. Every step that he does has a meaning, has a reason. And... I think that, in a sense, is what has been so good for this company to have the opportunity to test themselves out doing a ballet where, as I said before, the choreography disappears. It's about allowing the choreography to create the character and the nature of the person you are portraying. And having access to people like Anita and Ricardo and Damien to step in and do some of these significant roles I think has been very good for the younger members of the company who won't have had much access to this style of, of performance.
0: Uh, you wrote a blog on uh, the San Francisco Ballet's blog, SF, uh, Studio Open Studio 455, which I encourage you all to look for on our website. And I, I did notice that you used the term um, you were looking for actors with the experience to play these characters to get under the skin of these characters. You didn't say we're looking for the most you know uh, actorly types or the most dramatically inclined that that experience that really that stuck out to me that
1: um I, I think the important thing is being able to act with subtlety, mm. as I said before it, it's very understated um, and you don't want to people to be demonstrative, you want them to understand that when they've been given a gesture it's as simple as that, that that gesture can't be more than that it's not that you're restricted, it's just it's choreographed, just like you wouldn't add something to a step in a Balanchine ballet which wasn't there before you would do it as it is, so it's understanding that to do very little says an awful lot. And I think that's where people with experience really gain. It's amazing to watch people on stage who can say everything by standing still. And you absolutely get what they're doing. I have this whole theory about um, classical ballet and the narrative works that we all watch people around us and understand what they're saying through their body language. We sometimes get confused, but generally speaking, we we know when someone's angry, we know when someone's bored, we can certainly see if someone's upset or, um, or amused. And it's not just what's happening here, it's what's happening right through the body. And experienced artists get that and get it very quickly. Um, and you you get to, as I say, you read them very easily.
0: With such specificity, not only in the choreography, but in the gesture and the nuance, um, did anybody have any trouble with that? Or was, was that a challenging aspect of learning this ballet?
1: I think the challenge here was that no one had seen the ballet, before. There's a, a BBC film of it, which was done in a film studio rather than on the stage, and whilst it captures it, 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 it captures it in in close quarters, which I think is not um, a great way for people to learn the work. You're going to be sitting here, there's no orchestra for it, the musicians are up on stage, so the orchestra is black. There's a big gap between you and the action, and that, in its own way, makes the action feel even more intense because they're isolated figures just working in a, in a very large area. So, in terms of the company getting to understand it, um, we had a notator, a choreologist, come over from the Royal Ballet Company called Grant Coyle. And he has set the ballet in other compa- for other companies. And he has the whole ballet written out in a form of notation called Benish. And each step, each character, each movement is, is clearly defined. It's a very special very specialist technique and ability. And he came and set the work. And then I supported him in that role um, because I knew the ballet. I'd seen it. I had never been in it, um, but I saw quite a few performances, and I sort of understood it. It was part of something that was within my experience and knowledge, and what we had to find were the descriptive words to allow people to capture the character of their whole character and specific moments within the ballet. And... So you're, you're trying to find the right words that allow them to discover how to make it read correctly. And I think that was probably the biggest challenge. If the company were to do it again next year with a different cast from the company, those other dancers would have already seen it. So they'd already have a strong idea of what would be expected of them and how to approach it. But we were starting with a blank page with however many dancers there are in the in the ballet.
0: Now, were the dancers asked or expected to read the play or do other homework?
1: Um, they were given the synopsis of the play, and I'm sure some of them did read it. Um, the synopsis is probably a better um, thing for them to go to simply because he's not done a literal telling. He's just playing with, with what he reads as the nature of each individual artist, um, character within the play.
0: Can you tell us some, a little bit more about the, um, the notation? And actually one of my questions was, you know, for something that uh, tells you so much about the movements and the steps, where does the ballet master fill in the dynamics and the subtleties?
1: I wish I had a big pad of paper and could sort of do a few sort of primitive sketches. Um, I learnt Benish notation when I was uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, so several decades ago, and I remember it very clearly. I got up to a very basic level um, where I could show one person doing various movements. and I could read one person doing various movements. It takes a musical stave, so the five lines of the musical stave, and the top line is the head, second line is shoulders, hips, knees, feet. It works, it's, it's very obvious when you break it down. And then there are, let's say my hand is here, so you show perhaps the head vertical, hand out on the side and then if I were to do that the next picture would show that the hand is up there but there would be a line to demonstrate that that was the route it took. So it becomes a series of in a sense mini pictures but those mini pictures begin to be very convoluted when you're doing this (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's all notatable. And then you might have five people lifting someone and everybody needs to be written specifically. The joy is you can do it vertically, as in following the music, musical stave. Um, so you can do bars. So you can be very, very specific about it. Um, the danger is that it is only the movements and the positions. And it doesn't offer you the opportunity to really bring color and, and sort of what the dynamic is, what the quality is, um, and how, how that isn't just that. All those subtle things, and that's where the human aspect has to come in. Um, I think it's brilliant because it's a true record. Um, we all rely on video. Um, and that's as good, but different. Video relies on someone doing it perfectly, without mistakes. And I'm afraid we're all human, and we all look at a video and go, "What were they doing?" You know, even if they're half a count off. But you know, 20 years down, that video might be it. There was a very famous story of a of an early Ashton ballet called Dante's Sonata, that had been recorded. And they played the video, and they were learning from the video. And I don't know how this happened, but they realized they were playing the video backwards. (laughs) I think, obviously, at that point in the video, they weren't doing a huge amount of movement. But it just goes to show, things disappear, and it's amazing what you can can do um, watching a video to replicate. So it's really vital that uh, people are involved who understand the nuance and can give all of that additional information. The joy was that Grant could be so specific about the musicality as in where you are at what point, what your feet, hands and everything are doing. Um, So there's a Bible in a sense that he reads from but he also knows the ballet very well and he did a tremendous job of setting it on the company and it was my job in a sense just to support him with my prior knowledge of the ballet and the people it was made on and that was was key to understand why Kenneth chose individual people from the Royal Ballet Company to do specific roles.
0: For those of you who uh, are just joining us, my guest today is Bruce Sansom, the uh, ballet master and assistant to the artistic director. Now, what, uh, what kind of notes or aids do you use in the studio?
1: I, I write out things out longhand. I don't capture it all. Um, but I, I'm one of the rare ones in, in my group of ballet masters that I do it onto a computer because my handwriting is illegible. And so I just I sit there and I'm typing it in, and then I look down and I realize I should have had my hands slightly further over because nothing makes sense. But I, I I do it all that way, and I'm I'm working out a process that allows me to capture it. It's not very user friendly to go back and dig through, but it gives me a record that I can I can live with, um, and obviously. W- When something has been set, we work in the studio for several weeks, and then at the end um, of that period, we record. And we'll record as many casts as we have. And so I will always have that as my first port of call. And that's, that's what the dancers will use when we come back. Grant came over, I think it was October or November, and spent 12 days with us, I think it was, and then returned a week in fact, he returned for the first stage call, um, so a week before opening night. Um, and by that time, I had had to sort of get everything re, re, um, rethought for the dancers. Um, so we'd spent a few hours in the, in the rehearsal studio, and the easiest thing is actually to say, okay, this is the scene we're doing, have a look at it. And the company here is very adept at... Um, learning a piece of dance, dropping it for months, seeing it again and going, got it. And it, it becomes part of their muscle memory, but they just need that spur to, to remind them exactly when and how and what.
0: I'll just ask one last question before I turn to the audience, and that is, why and how did this ballet enter San Francisco Ballet's repertory now?
1: Um... <laughs> I I've always loved the ballet, and uh, um, Helgi and I were talking about different different pieces, and I know he was keen to get another MacMillan work. And I asked him if he had seen this. He said, "Yes, I have. It's a beautiful work," um, and I think it it just sort of came from there. Um, Helgi's seen more works than I think anybody else that I know, so has a very good grasp of of what could work, what will be challenging for his dancers, and will be rewarding for the audiences. So I'd say it sort of came from there.
0: I have time for just a few questions from the audience. I will repeat them into the microphone, so do help me out by uh, making them easy for me to remember. Uh, Does anybody have a question for Bruce? The question is, what's the most difficult thing to teach a dancer?
1: I really don't know. (laughs) I'm trying to think, what was the most difficult thing to teach me? Um, It depends on the dancer. Some dancers are very, very technical, and you want them to break out and be far more artistic. Some are purely artistic, and you say, oh, for God's sake, where's your technique? Please. Um, You know... Different dancers, different things. Uh, some dancers are... Uh, how many of you have seen Black Swan? <laughs> some dancers are made to do our debt. Some dancers are made to do a deal. You know, that's the sort of thing. We're, we're not all likely to do every role, and sometimes it's really challenging to push someone to something they're not comfortable with. Um, uh, How difficult is it for the dancers to put some of the, the, I guess, the technical aspects to the music? Um, To be honest, it's all very danceable, Um, so I would say it's not difficult. The great thing is, it's Tchaikovsky, Um, so it's very musical. You, You can follow the melody very easily, and the technical aspects are difficult, but fitting them to the music not, not so bad. Um, I think hopefully what you will see will look very easy. Um, some of it certainly is. Some of it certainly isn't. Um, and I hope you'll be impressed and not impressed by aspects of what you see because of the urgency and the emotion that um, the dancers create, but not necessarily be aware that what they're doing is particularly demanding or not demanding. The um, question is, if a ballet has been notated but no one is around who ever danced it, could you revive it? Yes, you could. Um, but Benish notation hasn't been around that long. Um, that Hopefully there will always be someone around who had been involved. One of the difficulties often is that you'll have too many people who were involved... With too many different ideas of what it was about and what they did, and and sometimes um, restructuring the ballet because they wanted it to be all about them. Um, so, y- yeah, you've you've kicked a hornet's nest there with me. Um, y- yes, basically, you can, you could, you wouldn't really want to. Um, you could probably. I'd say there's a similar thing with, with watching it from video. If you only had a video to go from, you could replicate it, but a video is one-dimensional. You're only seeing it from there. So certainly, w- certain aspects of partnering work would be lost and you'd be having to make it up. Um, it's actually harder, and I've seen it done, to have a work that perhaps is 40 or 50 years old that hasn't been done since and wasn't notated and wasn't filmed. And you're asking people to remember Wh- whose production? This is this is a revival of *Rite of Spring*. I I wonder if you mean the 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 recreation of the original production, which was done on Joffrey Ballet, in fact not here um, and that was done by um, Millicent Hodson who i i know and have worked with and she did a tremendous job and received a lot of acclaim and a lot of criticism because people said that she had was claiming to have uh re- to have created Nijinsky's writer spring when what she had done was taken Every existing piece of information about the original production that was available that could be found, and piece together photo- photographs, drawings, movement patterns, information that was written on the original score, and pull together as much of that as possible, and then thread through it the missing bits, um, so she would say that she she would say she had managed to achieve. Um, the correct style and as much verifiable truth as possible. But I don't know at what percentage she'd say that was. But that was, that was like a research project that she was fortunate that the Joffrey were happy to um, get involved with and the ballet is still performed.
0: Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for, but I'd like to thank Bruce Sansom for being our guest today.
1: A pleasure, thank you very much.
0: I'd also like to refer you once again to our website, sfballet.org, where you can listen to podcasts of this and other interviews and watch videos and read our blog. And actually for those of you who are interested in uh, notation and reconstruction, uh, for Coppelia, uh, the Center for Dance Education's visiting scholar is Doug Fullington, who um, is uh, uh, fluent in Stepanov notation, which was used uh, in Russia when Petipa was creating uh, many ballets. So uh, look uh, for the schedule uh, of his talks and maybe you can ask him a few questions about reconstructions. So thank you once again. Please enjoy this afternoon's performance.